Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Driven by Curiosity podcast. For today's interview, I have my awesome friend Edward Pollock here on the show. I'm so excited, honestly, to have him here on the podcast. He's one of the most inspiring hardworking, knowledgeable people that I got to meet over the past few years and I'm so excited to have him on the show today to share all of his wisdom about starting a startup. So if any one of you is interested in running your own startup, really what it's like to um, participate in startup accelerator programs, how to pitch to investors, what to do, what not to do, we chat about everything in this episode. There's honestly so much wisdom, so many business tips in this episode it's insane also Ed just recently started his own business so he is sharing all about um, his journey of running his own product-based business which is also still super new so it's very very relatable if you're also still in the beginning stages of running a business or you're thinking of starting a business in 2021 this episode is for you so without further ado let's welcome Ed to the Driven by Curiosity podcast oh and Actually, before we get started, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Spotify or wherever you're listening. And also, if you enjoy this episode, it would mean so much to me if you would take a screenshot of you listening to this episode and sharing it on your Instagram story. And you can tag me at Laura underscore Langheinrich, my Instagram handle is linked down below. So I can see you, I can reshare it, I can connect with you and it really, really helps the podcast to grow so thank you so so much for your support hi ed and welcome to the driven by curiosity podcast i'm so excited to be chatting with you today on the podcast thank you so much for being here no worries at all happy to join in laura thank you so much for inviting me along to speak yay and i think listeners are also going to enjoy your scottish accent by the way <laughs> i'll <Just a laughs> try my best hopefully <laughs> i don't go into uh, too many scottish phrases that people can't understand <laughs> Okay, well, so this podcast is called Driven by Curiosity, and it's all about empowering women or generally any any listener to step outside your comfort zone. So my first question to you is, when was the last time that you stepped outside your comfort zone? It's, it's a great question. and It's actually difficult to try and think because there's so many different ways. There's personally, professionally, I think particularly uh, we're recording this in 2020 so the year that it's been I think there's been lots of times we've pushed ourselves one that springs to mind was in the summer and I guess I was always doubtful um, of my exercise regime for example you know I was kind of vaguely into running before the lockdown but then it was later in, in lockdown I decided to push myself further and I was out on a run and I managed to um, get myself to running a half marathon um, which is 21 kilometers which I, if you'd asked me before I'd never been able to do that absolutely never thought I would have doubted myself I would have said there's zero chance I've never run that far I wouldn't be able to do it and I just was curious on the run it was just a nice day and I decided to keep going and I thought you know what I can maybe do this and then I just kept pushing myself and was able to do it so in a personal sense that's probably something I'll take away from this year to go you know, there's a lot of things I didn't think I could do, but at least I've proven to myself that there is something I can do. So yeah, that'd be maybe one example where I was um, physically pushed out of my comfort zone. Yeah, that's amazing. I remember seeing your Instagram story and I was like, 
oh my gosh, I would faint after like a kilometer <laughs> of running and like yeah. here you are doing this half marathon. That was awesome. And that's super cool. So tell us a bit about yourself. What is your story? Why do you do what you do now? Just, yeah, tell us about yourself. Yeah, of course. Uh, so I'm Edward. I'm a Scottish-born, um, <laughs> uh, I don't know, how, how would you describe yourself? A Scottish-born entrepreneur educator, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so I was born in Aberdeen, Scotland, and I moved out to Dubai when I was in my teenage years. And while I was studying out there, I've always had a passion for sort of events and experiences. So um, I was always the, the kid in the class who was trying to organize some fundraiser or let's plan this or let's plan that and kind of trying to come up with new ideas for different things. I remember when I was very little, um, I got up one morning with my friend, my neighbor, and I got uh, a spade from the, in the garage and I decided to dig a hole in my garden um, and turned it into a swimming pool, <laughs> aka swimming pool, and uh, decided to charge my friends for this little business of a swimming pool in my back garden. Safe to say my parents weren't overly impressed with um, the big hole that I dug in the garden, but I'd always had that sort of entrepreneurial creative side. So when I went out into Dubai, I again continued to get involved in events. I ended up running uh, clean water projects out there. So um, we had to do a, a student project where we did something for the community and I decided to set up an event around World Water Day and we raised thousands um, in you know, bouncy castles, inflatables, all of that sort of lovely stuff um, to try and raise money for clean water wells. And I guess that was my first taste of, do you know, if I push myself and try to do something we can make a little bit of difference so that was what inspired me to then apply to university and study event management with all of that experience um, while I was at university I got involved again I just seem to be the type of person who gets involved <laughs> in too many things um, and I got involved with the student union I ended up again running for student president and planning events and different initiatives and since I left university I um, have had a number of different roles um, from helping plan and organize events through to my job now, which is in a startup support team, uh, the entrepreneurship and innovation group uh, at our university, where I help startups um, who have an idea, turn them into ventures. And of course, as the type of person who can't just do one thing, I also have another job <laughs> where I teach in event management as well. So yeah, all the way from being a kid, having that sort of crazy ambitious um personality of doing creative projects all the way through to my career now I guess that's a little flavor of of who I am oh I love it like I am so excited to have you on the podcast because like since I've met you you've been like such a big role model and you're just such a great person and yeah thank you so much for sharing your story I can definitely re resonate with lots of stuff like with the oh, I can't just do one thing I have to do like all <laughs> the things <laughs> Well, I probably did the same. I can imagine you in first year um, where I, I set myself a goal. I said, look, I'm always involved in the extracurriculars. Maybe in first year, I'll just focus on the academics. I'll just do my course and I'll ignore all the extracurriculars and I'll do them in second year. And I think I got to four weeks and I was running for vice president of events and entertainment at this June union in my first <laughs> year. So it's just, yeah, just tends to be, I think you're the same with that type of person who just gets, gets involved in too much stuff. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, we're going to talk about time management later because I think you're <laughs> definitely an expert in that considering you do so many things. Um, but for the first part of the podcast, I really want to talk to you about startups because I think you're mm. such a good source for knowledge on that and really also offering a different perspective because obviously what I can share from my experience is a lot more online. It's service-based. Mm. It's you know, not so maybe physical, you know, as like, you know, some startups are that you've worked with. So yeah. I first want to ask you just like about your opinion or yeah, just your advice. And so maybe people want to start businesses now or, you know, go into self-employment. Do you think mm. they should do that? Because I could imagine a lot of people might be discouraged because of COVID or mm. an economical a downturn uncertainty um, do you think it's still a good time to start a business now uh, you can imagine my answer being a, a startup coordinator is yes there's always a good time to start a business and um, I think there's different motivations and one of the first things we say to people who want to set up a business is really have a clear understanding of you and your values and what you want to try and achieve and a lot of people, you know, we, we sometimes see the, the entrepreneurs where they have an entrepreneurial spirit and they're just so desperate to be an entrepreneur, but actually they're not invested in the, in, the, in the product or business. They want to be an entrepreneur for the sake of an entrepreneur, similar to people who say, I want to be famous. Why? Just because I want to be famous. I want to be an entrepreneur. Why? Just because I want to be an entrepreneur. So I think it is, it is challenging. If that's your motivation, then perhaps now isn't the right time because you are going to face challenges. You are going to have to be fully committed. But you have other people who have a passion, who have a belief, who have, um, you know, something they have discovered or invented or, you know, they have a burning desire to fix something. And the, almost the entrepreneurship part almost comes secondary to trying to solve this problem to try to help people to try to listen to people and I think for those people there's never a better time than now because you know with economic uncertainty you you need to take more control over what you want to achieve what you want to do um, and I think if you have there's, there's many problems in society that you need to solve so um, yeah I think if you're the type of person who has a has a really clear vision of something they want to do then you'll find the market you will find the, the right business model for you and you'll find a way of doing it. So it's difficult. Figure out why you're wanting to do it, how it aligns with what lifestyle you want to achieve. And that should be the right measure of when to be an entrepreneur. Yes, economic uncertainty is, is, is scary and difficult, but it's not insurmountable. Some of the world's biggest brands have been developed um, out of people being desperate, out of people mm -hmm. You know, Airbnb is an example we use quite a lot. You know, when they set it up, it was the global financial crisis in 2008. The two guys were living in uh, accommodation together and they needed more money and they decided to rent out an airbag um, in their flat to make more money, driven by the economic uncertainty, but has grown into a major international company. So um, don't let the economic uncertainty put you off. Oh, I love that. And I also love how you mentioned... Um, that you have to have like a motivation outside of, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur just because, because yeah. maybe, you, I mean, it's fine if you want to be an entrepreneur, like fair enough, but it's just not enough to keep you going because like even without economical, uh, economic uncertainty and all of those things, like I, um, I have definitely had moments where I thought, wow, like the universe is really testing right now whether I want <laughs> yeah. this or not. Because it's like, mm. 
but yeah, I really think um, some people do have this drive. And I also think it comes down. And that's also what I kind of always told myself is like, I just made the decision that I'm going to make this work no matter what, you know, like <laughs> I, I will not give up. And I think that, but in order to get there, in order to have this grit, you really need to have a strong why. And, um, you know, for you, that might be like what you mentioned that, you know, solving a problem, you're really passionate about a certain cause, right? You want to help yeah. people. You're like super excited about what you're doing, or it might even be, you know, the lifestyle that you want to have a certain freedom in, you know, yeah. how you work and what you do and when you do it. However, there are always things though that are not easy. Um, and yeah, so I, I love that you said that and that um, you're not glamorizing. I think like EIG generally doesn't do that, which I really appreciate because I feel mm -hmm. like online, oftentimes entrepreneurship is so glamorized, which it's like- It's a celebrity really... profession now, isn't yes. it? Yes. <laughs> I think it's a little bit like um, like baking a cake. You have to really enjoy the process of baking. If you just wanted a cake, yes. you could go out and buy one, but you've really got to go with it. And, you know, entrepreneurs, the people who just, you have to stay focused and you these types of people will get distracted by lots of different things and they'll jump away and they'll never spend the time to actually curate the cake until it's baked, if you mm -hmm. know what I mean. Um, so, yeah, I think that's my advice is if, if you found the thing that you're passionate about solving, no matter what hurdles come your way, you'll continue to want to solve that problem. Whereas if you're just doing it for the end game, then you'll get distracted and, and won't be as focused. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Like perseverance and grit and staying with it is like so being important. Being curious, being yeah. driven by curiosity is an excellent <laughs> phrase for it because <laughs> you are going to have to answer the big questions. And that's mm -hmm. what being an entrepreneur is all about. Yeah. So you already said, you already shared with the listeners that you are a startup mentor. So you work with lots of different kinds of startups. And I mentioned it before a little bit, but, oh, by the way, listeners, if you don't know, um, I worked in my last year of uni, I worked as a marketing assistant for EIG. So I got really involved with the whole team and with all of the startups. And that for me was, I mean, like it has so up-leveled just everything and I'm like this like that opportunity of that job was just like it was amazing um but a big thing really was that I I always felt like I was in my bubble of like you know running like an online business being a content creator mm -hmm. um and I followed a lot of online coaches and content creators and online entrepreneurs and then I went into EIG and that was really the first time where I actually met people who were running like product-based businesses or nonprofits or subscription services, yeah. like all kinds of different businesses. And um, my question is, so if the listeners have like a business idea um, that might not be in an online business, or maybe it is, mm. who or what kind of business do you think should consider applying for Startup Accelerator? Yeah, that's a good question. So again, I think when you're on that journey of figuring out what your values and what you're trying to achieve is. So again, I we often say to the, the entrepreneurs, pick yourself in 10 years time and what's the type of business you want to be running. And there's a couple of different entrepreneurial kind of structures you could have. So as we've spoken before, you could just, you want to be an entrepreneur, you want to deliver value, but you don't want to hire staff. You don't want to have a big you know, international company, you just want to do what's right. You might want to be a freelancer or a quite small local business. And that's 
um, one structure. For those type of individuals, probably a startup accelerator isn't for you because you actually have the tenacity and the concept to just go and do it. Just test it, go out there, get one client, get one Instagram follower and just build it and learn and do it yourself. And actually you don't necessarily need the accelerator for that. Um, but equally, if you do have a really um, sort of technical product or you have a really um, sort of something that has lots of intellectual property, maybe an invention or, you know, really an app or something that is going to require quite a considerable amount of investment or time. That's what a, essentially a startup accelerator is for. You have to be ambitious, but globally ambitious. Um, and what a startup accelerator will do will typically, um, they're all over the world, but they, they are a program of, you know, a set amount of time with a cohort where you often get access to mentorship, training, funding, um, kind of resources, co-working space. And it's really driven to accelerate you. You have to be committed. This isn't a part-time gig for you, I guess, if you're joining an accelerator. Um, so typically, if you're joining an accelerator, I want to apply, you should have ambitions to have a team of staff, for example, you maybe have ambitions to get some investment to, to grow this. You should have ambitions of having, you know, clients across multiple countries, um, for example. So it's about understanding your ambition and there'll be a lot more expectations of you from a startup accelerator point of view than there maybe would if you're a small business or a freelancer or um, something like that. And what is challenging is there, there are two sides of being an entrepreneur and one the startup accelerator side sounds glamorized. It sounds <laughs> fancy. It sounds like Facebook and Airbnb and all these big things who, you know, Airbnb and um, Slack and things like that did go through accelerators. Um, but our economy is absolutely built on what sounds bad, small businesses, but they are, they're, that's not a bad thing. They're exactly the size they need to be for the people who are involved with them. So um I would say that if you have ambition to grow, ambition to scale, then definitely join a startup accelerator because you'll get so much support, so much benefits. Um, but if you just want to do your own thing, then just go and do it. You know, you've, you you can do it. You don't need all that extra support, but there is support out there either way. Oh, I love that. Like you explained it so well. I think that makes a lot of sense um, for the listeners. And yeah, like, I, I love as well how you said like it, it doesn't really like you can do both like there's not yeah. one or the other or one that's better than the other um, and, and yeah, yeah I was gonna say I always yeah. I always struggle with that because I always think when you see competitions and programs and awards and everything it is all very much tailored at these sort of scalable you have to have for startup accelerators for competitions you have to have something that is innovative something that is brand new, something that hasn't been seen. You know, you have to have a team of people committed to this. You have to dedicate so much time to it. And that seems like, oh, but my idea is never there. I'm not good enough. Or, you know, I, I don't I don't really, maybe, do, maybe I don't want to have a team of people. I just want to do something. And you almost feel like you're a failed entrepreneur if you're not in that position because the whole world looks like it's a startup accelerator. And it is important to make the point that you don't, you can be a really successful entrepreneur in that small freelance gig economy um, sort of lifestyle. Um, they're often called lifestyle entrepreneurs, actually. Um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so it's about, I find that difficult. I was constantly, the, the first year we did the Startup Accelerator because it is targeted at these scalable businesses, you know, felt really bad letting go of great ideas because they were just, they could just go and do them. Um, yeah. And I find that difficult to realize that there is absolute value in both. 
and there's not one that's better than the other yeah oh, absolutely um yeah that that's such um like that's really really great how you how you explained it yes i'm Yes, yes, that's all I kind of wanted to say about that. Um, <laughs> so let's say the listener is like, yes, like I, I do, like I have this idea and I do see myself, you know, running a big company. I want to pitch to investors. I want to go that mm -hmm. route. And um, so unfortunately, not all listeners can join the RGU Startup <laughs> Accelerator because it is for RGU alumni. Yeah. Um, so if you don't go to RGU, you unfortunately can't Sorry. join but <laughs> if you consider to study at rgu then like i i just tell that everyone like the eig eig is just a great such a great part of uh, of rgu anyway how do we find good startup accelerators like where do we even start to search and how do we know it's just a good program right because i imagine there's like so much choice of startup mm. accelerators Yeah, definitely. So um, a couple of different routes. So again, prior to getting involved with the Startup Accelerator, no, regardless of what accelerator it is, they're going to ask you for an application. So you have to be quite comfortable and ready that you have a clear sense. So I guess the initial journey of developing this idea would start with that values exercise. Where do you want to be? What type of business do you want to be? And that gives you your grounding for what the business is going to try to do. Who are you? What do you care about? So, you know, if you are a caring person, your business should be caring. If you are a financially driven person, your business might be financially driven. You know, find out what the values of this concept are. The next step will be have a really clear sense of the problem, which we discussed. You know, it's what is the thing that's driving you? What, who do you want to solve this for? Who is the individual you're solving this for? A lot of times, um, ideas that don't get accepted to the accelerator, that don't do as well, are the ones where people have come up with the solution before they've figured out the problem. You know, mm. it's difficult because we have those moments in the shower where you kind of go, oh, that's a great idea. Or why doesn't we have a product that does this or a website that does that or an app that does this? And you've designed this solution and you've thought it all out. But actually, who's it for? Who wants it? Why do they want it? Um, and applications that come in that are almost just about the solution tend not to do very well because you need to have a really good understanding of who wants it and why they want it. So understand the problem first. So take some time to step away from your solution and think about the individual who would buy it or use it and why would they buy it or use it? What is the issues happening in their lives? What are the challenges they're facing? And then you might adapt your solution to actually realize, well, maybe it's not, um, high school students, it's university students. Okay, they have a slightly different perspective, all of those types of things. So I would say step number one is have a clear understanding of the types of things you're interested in and then have a really clear idea of your idea, do your research about if there's other businesses that are similar, etc. So you've kind of got your foundation. As you're on this point, if you're in a university, have a look for the equivalent of EID in that university. This could be within the career service, they might have an entrepreneurship team, or it could be academics and have a look and speak to them and get some of that advice first. Equally, lots of um, uh, locations around the world will have um, sort of like a chamber of commerce or, a, or sort of a business, we call it business gateway in Scotland, but there's something similar. It's like a business support department of maybe your local council, your local authority or something like that. And again, they tend to offer free advice, maybe little pockets of funding, those types of things. Um, equally, there's also lots of little innovation competitions, you know, small little funding idea competitions. So just have a look for those early stage activities, because before you apply to the accelerator, if you can have a really clear understanding of your idea and some interaction with the types of people and support available in your community, 
then it sets you up much better. Whereas if you come in cold to uh, application to an accelerator and say, you know, just boom, here's my idea, take me on. And they kind of can't see that you've done the work beforehand. Well, why would they take you on? So once you've done that, you've got the idea, you've got uh, a sense. Those people in your local community will help you know what accelerators are about. If not, then obviously you can Google. There's a thing called the, it's called UBI, um, which is a sort of global ranking of accelerators and incubators. Um, but there's other lists as well. You can just Google, of course. <laughs> Google's the best answer to find accelerators. And again, these indexes will help you understand what's best and what isn't. So unfortunately, actually finding the accelerators is just a, a research activity to try and find the right ones. Um, there's lots of mailing lists as well that you can sign up for, again, depending on your local area. In the UK, it would be things like uh, Scottish Enterprise or Business Gateway that will send out things like funding competitions or particular accelerators. So, yeah, get your idea solid first and then start exploring. Um, but a lot of startups make the mistake of thinking they have to get into an accelerator before they come up with their idea. Of course, the accelerator will improve and adapt your idea but you've got to understand that problem first and before mm. you even apply. Yeah. Um, actually, you just made a really good point. First of all, that those were amazing tips. Also, thank you for pointing out that you really need to understand or that there needs to be a problem. So people actually yeah. have enough pain to then pay for your service because otherwise no one will give you their money. So yeah. thanks so much for pointing that out again. <laughs> You know, one of the other tips we always say is, uh, and, and university students are bad for this because in your coursework, If you're doing a university coursework, you probably get asked, do a survey or do some market research. And what do students do? They stick together a survey monkey and they put it on their Facebook and they tell all their friends and their family to fill it in. Or it might even be their dissertation. And it comes back and 100% of people love our idea. Woohoo, let's put that in our report. We'll look great. We'll get a great grade. But really, if you went back, if you asked the people who love and care about you, do you love my idea? If you give them a leading question like that, of course, they're going to say yes. And it's so easy to stick that in your application and say, yeah, we spoke to customers and everybody loves our idea, but are they the right customers? Do they have the money? Do they have the problem? And are they accessible to you? You know, can you actually, if you were to launch this product tomorrow, could you reach those same customers and would they give you some money? Because it's all very well saying yes when there's no money on the table, but is it the same yes when there is money on the table? And that's the real test. And that's where a lot of businesses stumble. So if you want to get onto competitions, accelerators, and all of this applies to investors as well. If you want to get a, an angel investor, which is a, a private individual with some money rather than a, a big company with lots of money giving you some investment, then they're going to ask the exact same thing. It's all about de-risking your idea. Because you're coming in as a complete stranger saying, wow, we've got the best idea in the world. And everyone, whether it's an accelerator, an investor, a bank, a, a co-founder, are all going to ask you, but why? Who wants it? And prove to me that this idea is going to work. So everything you can do to test, change your idea, talk to people, prove it, and avoid just using friends and family because <laughs> they're going to give you the right answer. Talk to the real customers about the real problem And you will go on so much better than those who don't. Yeah. And, and, and to be fair, it kind of fits with this whole theme of stepping outside your comfort zone because it yeah. is much more comfortable to, to maybe not have your idea rejected by staying inside your comfort zone and asking friends and family yeah. and you know, maybe not going out there. Like it, is, like it is uncomfortable to 
I mean, it is uncomfortable to go through that entire process, right? Because it's stretching you. It's meant to help you grow. But sure, it is like to to reach out to strangers and to sell things. Like I, um, I'm still like I've been in business for like three years now. I've done so mm. much like mindset work around selling, um, yeah. because I have had this huge limiting story of like salespeople are bad and people just <laughs> sell you shit that you don't need and you know selling means that you're greedy and mm. you know you should be of service to people you should charge high and all of that stuff which like people have to to overcome anyway how did i even get on that rant right now that wasn't even the point <laughs> um, but, yeah but it's, very so, true. Yeah, it's so very funny. uncomfortable to be thinking about that and the yeah. diff actually you know selling is a is a really scaly dirty word in entrepreneurship because I think the biggest metric before you have a product, there's this whole massive world. I mean, and what is difficult here is there is different schools of thought on entrepreneurship. There's almost old entrepreneurship and new entrepreneurship and old entrepreneurship is very invested in selling. It's sell, sell, sell. It is make a business plan on day one, write a big 30 page report with financial tables and predictions. And that is the traditional way you go to a bank, you get a bank loan and you sell. But new entrepreneurship is different. New entrepreneurship is the whole first three, six months of your idea is nothing to do with selling. It's to do with learning. It's absolutely, yes, you might act, you might sell, you might make some money, you might find some customers, but every penny you make in that first few months is learning money. It's money that you can invest back into changing the idea and finding out something different. It's about curiosity. It's about being an inventor. It's about finding business models, setting a price, getting it wrong, changing the price, <laughs> offering a discount, changing something again, adding a new product. And it's always about learning. And learning doesn't stop, but only after you have absolutely validated and you've got lots of customers invested tested involved in your idea then you start selling and entrepreneurs come in far too soon far too quickly and they they have an idea and they think the first thing they need to do is you know stick a slide up with what their idea is and pitch and and mm -hmm. pitch in a way that isn't about learning pitch in a way that's about selling and that's it's too soon it's too soon you know you're not i'm not ready to kind of buy from you invest from you you know when you've not tested it yet so you know what I mean I think actually yeah. uh, it's about learning first and then eventually you'll get around to that 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 sort of selling concept then you have to be confident enough to sell as you've said you know you have to com be confident in what your worth is and what your value is but as soon as you start making it think about it it's about learning and adapting and that your what you're asking from your customers might not be right on day one then it feels mm -hmm. a lot more comfortable to step out of your comfort zone and say would yes. you be willing to pay for this consultancy service at this price? And if they say no, then they've said, no, that's, that's the worst that can happen. You can change it. You can adapt it. It's not your whole life's not dependent on that. Um, which I think is hard for people to step out and think that that's possible when they're so used mm -hmm. to saying, Oh, this is how I have to do it. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like what you just said with like, you change things around all the time. Like, yes. Like what, and also, you know, with business usually like, what you what you start with like you will not end up with this like it will change like so much like I mean I can imagine like so many ideas that you start with in the startup accelerator they come out mm. to be something completely different 
because you know and they've that's learned absolutely that's absolutely a measure of success so I think um we're so used to measuring and we were having this conversation about how do we know if a, if a business is successful and the main things we measure are things like how much money have they made did they get an investor did they create jobs but actually there is success stories in the individual and personal development mm-hmm. so actually um more and more startup accelerators so for example RGU's accelerator we are changing that to be more about impact as well now so about you know the triple bottom line not just about how much money you make but what good do you do for people and what good do you do for the planet and I think much more competitions are now going to ask you that question so you're going to have to be a lot more comfortable with saying I have a great idea this is how much money it's going to make and this is how we're going to help people this is how we're going to change society this is how we're going to be good for the planet and that's a bigger ask than we've ever seen before so that's like almost new new entrepreneurship um but equally um you're going to have to be able to demonstrate you know if a student goes through the accelerator and realizes that entrepreneurship isn't for them that they don't have what it takes and their idea isn't going to succeed maybe that's a success too because mm-hmm. actually they've learned something and the skills they got from learning when to stop, which is something entrepreneurs can also be bad at because they're so invested in their baby of a business that actually sometimes you do need to change it. And actually that's an uncomfortable conversation to have with yourself. Mm. So the lessons learned from stopping or changing are almost as good as, yes, you've got an investor. Yes, you made loads of money, but who are you as a person? Who are you as a company? How many times did you change your product? Dyson, you know, the the vacuum cleaner had over 5,000 prototypes before they launched their first vacuum cleaner. And that just shows how often it takes to really change something to get it right. And that's what our goal as entrepreneurs is. If you're enjoying this episode right now and you're thinking about starting your own business while studying abroad or moving abroad or traveling, then I would love to support you in my Girls Abroad membership because in there we have lots of lots of girls who are also starting their own businesses while studying abroad, whilst being in uni, whilst moving around. They're mostly online businesses or remote businesses and we would love to have you in there as well. As part of the Girls Abroad membership, you get access to monthly masterclasses, visualizations, journaling prompts, challenges, and a monthly group coaching call where you can get one-on-one coaching from me to help you um, start and run and grow your business. And I think the best thing, honestly, is to have the support community of girls who really believe in you and in your dreams. So for a really low monthly rate, you can join our membership. It's completely risk-free to join because you can cancel any time. And if you want to learn more about it, then make sure you check out the link in the show notes. Um, you're so knowledgeable. I, I knew that. I knew that you would tell us like so many <laughs> stories and just give us so much advice. So ugh, I love it. And um, so talking about advice, I would like to ask you, so you've worked with so many different startups. Mm. What are like common mistakes that startup founders make that we can be aware of and maybe not make them? <laughs> yes. Um, so obviously, I mean, I'll, we've we've spoken about not having a focus on the problems. That's definitely one of them. Some of the more practical things are they spend so much time on branding and logos and visual identities and websites before they have spoken to customers and before they have actually done stuff. And, you know, we're all guilty of this. It's the fun bit. It is the, it's the exciting thing. It's, you know, what feels it's, um, it's, it's entrepreneurship theater. It's looking like an entrepreneur without being one. Um, (laughs) 
And it's, it's so difficult to get past that because on the one hand, it is a practical step you need to do. You know, if you want to run a business, you're going to need a website, you're going to need an email, you might want business cards, that's all fine. But often the, that's the momentum they build up. They're like, yeah, we've set it all up. We've got our social media. We've been posting on social media. And then it all kind of crumbles apart because actually where's the business behind that? Where's the substance? You know, spend that time you know, or that money, you know, they spend lots of money on branding when the brand is going to change. The more you learn about your customers and it takes months to get that right. The more you learn about the business and the product, you might think you're developing a website that does X, for example, but the more Uh you learn, you realize actually they don't really want X. They want something like Y, you know, they want something different. And suddenly you've spent, you know, lots of money on a logo that says, you know, has x in the title but really it doesn't need to have x in the title if you know what i mean bit of Mm -hmm. a bad example but you know that's probably number one is over investing in some of that marketing and branding and those types of things um two which is a hard one to get past is not really having the right team and not understanding Mm -hmm. what you need from the team so um again similar if you want an investor you want some um kind of uh, competitions or awards you're de-risking so do you have everything all the puzzle pieces you need to make this business and a lot of businesses say you know we've got this great idea for this technology thing that's going to involve you know artificial intelligence and data and apps and boom 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 fantastic brilliant do any of you the founders know how to build an app no do any of you know anything about the technology you're suggesting ah watch some youtube videos you know that's fine Absolutely, you've got a great idea, but you're going to need to build the team to have that in it. You can't outsource everything. You can't suddenly go, yeah, but we'll just get some, you know, people in Indonesia to build our app for us for like zero pounds. <laughs> you know, if someone is going to invest in your business, they want to see what you've invested too. And that should be your skills and your talent. And an idea isn't a big enough investment. Anyone can have an idea. And if you have a business idea, guaranteed someone else somewhere in the world has had that same idea there is no unique ideas it is out there what is unique is the amount of effort and energy you put into it to make it real and if you don't have the skills and experience to actually deliver the value that you want to create you're not going to be able to run that business you're going to need someone else to join the team so find advisors find mentors find people they might not need to be your co-founders but learn at least then if you do need to hire in a technical person, you know very clearly what you can bring to that party. Um, you know, you know what you're expecting of it rather than you're almost asking someone to build your business for you. And I think that's a bit of a challenge. So, yes, mm. um, I would say three things there are the one we've already spoke about. Understand the problem and talk to the customers. Don't waste all of your time on entrepreneurship theater, looking like an entrepreneur, but not putting in the back work and making sure you've built a really solid team with all the skills and experience that you're going to need to kind of put it forward. Um, Lots of teams make those mistakes and sort of struggle afterwards. I love it. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing them. Um, Yes. By the way, like I am with, entrepreneurial friends or even mentors that talked about them like what you said with the branding um stuff like oh it's such a like yeah it's such a misconception that like like people won't like I mean I I was actually talking about that uh earlier um with my partner but we said like 
if you are not like a business, because I'm currently redoing my website, because like I've been yeah. running my business for three years now, and I don't really have a website. It doesn't really work. It's super slow. <laughs> and I'm finally like, okay, I have to sit down now and dedicate yeah. time to my website. Just do it. Um, and yes, you can easily get into the trap because you start comparing yourself to like other businesses who are like much further ahead who have those beautiful websites and you think oh my god I need to get like a new logo I need to <laughs> have like a brand photo shoot oh my god like what are my fonts what are my colors I need to hire a copywriter because like yeah but like if you're not a business that for example only sells on your website and your website is like so important then if someone wants to get your product then they won't say no to it because yeah. you don't have the absolute perfect branding and website like as long as it looks okay for the yeah. beginning that's absolutely enough definitely and I think a lot of entrepreneurs make that mistake you know it is it going to actually generate value or income at some point you know does it yeah. matter if it has uh, it's difficult because you do need a nice website and you want to put some time into it but equally you if that's all of your time is dedicated to that then you're mm -hmm. not actually furthering the business and the other thing that entrepreneurs really struggle with and I'm exactly the same you know all of the business ventures I've set up and all of the event projects I've set up I'm the same is um the perfectionism about mm. it you know there's this difficulty of and I've even seen myself advising startups to come up with an, an a completely idiotic name or something if you have a brand name, people spend ages, oh, I need a logo, I need a name, blah, 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 and it takes ages. It's not going to be right straight away. So just come up with a temporary name and go out there and talk to customers because what is difficult is people don't want to go and show people what they're working on or talk to people. Or, you know, if you're selling to a business, for example, you want to come across as super professional on day one mm -hmm. and you oh, I can't talk to anyone until my website's finished. Oh, I can't talk to anyone until I get this many Instagram followers because otherwise they'll think I'm not properly. Oh, I need to get my email sorted with this. And you're finding all of these excuses in terms yeah. of your cosmetics to not do the real work. And, you know, as long as you're open and honest with the people you're talking to, to say, hi, we're a brand new business. We're just underway. We really want your help. They're going to look past you not having the nicest website or, you know, not having the fanciest um, Instagram presence you know, yes, continue to work on it, but don't let it be an excuse. And I've always found myself kind of holding off because I'm like, oh, it's not perfect. Same with product launches. You know, if you've got a product or something that you can get out there, get it to its best possible rough form and test it. It's not going to be the final thing. You know, you're not going to be perfect, but get it out there, see what people say, because no doubt it will need updated. You know, it will need changed in some sort of way. So it's difficult. I'm a perfectionist. I love to be organized. I've got label makers coming out of everywhere. Everything's <laughs> color coordinated. Um, but, you know, I have, I've had to learn to grit my teeth and say, okay, let's get some feedback. Let's learn first, because otherwise I'll just sit on this and tweak it and tweak it and tweak it and never actually get it out there. Yeah, absolutely. It's really about, and I think that's where mentors or just having like an external mm. perspective is so important because they're going to tell you like, you're wasting your time right now. Like this is unnecessary. Like stop. Cause when you're in it yourself and like all you have is your own judgment and then you compare yourself to like others, it's so easy to like step into this. Oh my God, it needs to be perfect. And this is not good mm -hmm. enough and this. And um, so I don't know if you probably know this, but there's this rule. It's the, I think it's Pareto principle, but I'm not sure. It's the 80, yeah. 20 principle where like 20% of your efforts create 80% of the results. And then mm. The last 
you know, 20% of the results are created with 80% of your time, right? So you're actually to get this perfect, you're spending so much time, but you're not actually creating majority of the results. So sometimes it is enough to just put in the the 80% of the results, like to just create that to, you know, get ahead. And so that's kind of what, what I often told myself is like, well, is this like the needle moving activity? No, it's not. So it can wait. Um, But it's like so important to have like external people because sometimes like even especially when you're starting out, you don't have that self-awareness yet of like knowing, well, is this important? Isn't this important? So love it. Also, by the way, yeah, kind of like the final part of the podcast. I want to talk about the startup you just recently Mm. uh, created and tell us about it. Like, what is it? How did it go? I'm really curious. Yeah, of course. So um, previously in my career I've set up events I've set up a clean water charity these types of things but for the past few years I've been helping startups and it's quite I guess hypocritical is that the right word of me to say oh yeah you know you should set up a website do this or this is how your business should be done blah 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 and so I wanted to get some real practical experience of actually Mm -hmm. do you know what what is it like to run a business and equally all these challenges that entrepreneurs have been facing um, I wanted to try and do something and the world is full of side hustles at the moment so why not have one of my own (laughs) so I've set up a little business called Founders Vault and our ambition is to help unlock entrepreneurial potential which is essentially little gifts, products, stationery. I love stationery. I love to do books. Mm-hmm. And there's, I've always been thinking, oh, I wish I had a book that did that, or I wish I had something that did this. So it's about finding useful things that you could give to potential entrepreneurs to kind of help them further. Because entrepreneurship is, is, is lonely. It's challenging. You know, you as we just said, you don't have that sort of reassurance. And some of the things mm-hmm. that I've seen entrepreneurs struggle with are knowing what their goals are, knowing what to aim for, knowing what to what, what are we trying to achieve and um, staying organized, especially if you've got part-time jobs or, you know, entrepreneurs have full-time jobs or they're juggling lots of things. They've got personal lives. How do you stay focused on your goals and your targets? And how do you reward yourself? You know, nobody's, if you're in a business, you've got a boss who tells you to do something and then the boss says, yay, well done. You've done that thing. But as an entrepreneur, no one stops you to say, do you know what? I have to do this as a mentor all the time for the startup teams to kind of go, if an entrepreneur is really doubting themselves and they're critical because they've not achieved the thing they wanted to achieve, I have to say, hang on a second, literally two months ago, you had nothing but an idea. You've now got, you've got potential customers, you've got a prototype, you've got a website, you've got a brand, you've talked to people, you've learned that's not what to do. And yes, that set you back a long way, but you know, think how much further you are now that you've learned that mistake. Um, So the idea with this little business is to sell things online that kind of help offer that support to those entrepreneurs. And we, the first product that I launched again, trying to think, I've I've been advising startups about how to get suppliers and those types of things. And that's the thing I found difficult to advise on. So I wanted to do a physical product to start with, to actually know what are the logistics of, you know, finding suppliers, charging people, setting up e-commerce sites. So mm-hmm. we did a 50 goals for entrepreneurs scratch poster because um, I had one on my wall for, well, I've got a scratch map of lots of countries and I've got a yeah. scratch um, thing of a hundred things to do before you die. And I thought, well, <laughs> not do that for entrepreneurs. So yeah, we launched earlier this year, just in November, um, and we have sold uh, different all over the world. You know, we've had orders to, um, I say we, it's just me. <laughs> uh, orders to Canada, America, France, the Netherlands, uh, uh, where else? Yeah, uh, all over all over the UK as well. So yeah, it's a, 
it's a good bit of fun um, putting something together. And I've learned a huge amount that I could advise from what it takes to design something to the logistics of postage and the challenges of actually making sure things arrive on time to getting your packaging mm. right. Um, all of those types of things, negotiating with suppliers. Um, yeah, all sorts of things like that. I love it. And I'm definitely going to link your your shop down below in the show notes so people can oh, check it out and and support you. And by the way, so, so did you design, like, did you also do the graphic design then on the poster? Yeah. And again, it's kind of back to my point is, is because I you have to have the skills you want to bring. So luckily, mm. I've, I've done some little bits of graphic design myself. So I knew that with the product I wanted to launch, the only thing I couldn't do was produce the actual print but everything else I could do myself so yeah designed it came up with the concepts and you know do the, the the shipping and logistics side of things as well so again gets me nice and hands-on with the with the products that's fun. super cool so so did you um leverage like your your network as well to find like ha find out how to do things or did you do a lot of research and just find it out yourself yeah and um, well I try to be as authentic to what it would be like being an RGU startup I guess so, <laughs> um, while I could have used a lot of the network I wanted to research it and find it so mm -hmm. for example things like how do you get something pr printed and produced um, and a lot of the startups have been looking online at sort of international suppliers through things like Alibaba or these types mm -hmm. of things and you know I'd always been saying yes have a look at that but found it difficult and I did that and I was always under the impression that British suppliers were going to be far more expensive than the international ones and yes that is the case but once we started looking into it I realized that with shipping costs and taxes I was able to really hunt and find a good British supplier that could produce my um, scratch posters for the same if not cheaper than some of the international ones so that was a really nice mm -hmm. lesson learned because I was mm -hmm always advising and startups were always saying yes I'll just go to a factory in China um to get it but actually you don't have to you know if you get the right research so yeah it was a lot of research um you know a lot of just figuring out how the startups would find it and not necessarily using the mentor network that I'm engaged with at this early stage just for this first product to try and because I wanted to as much as it seems silly I wanted to feel the hurdles I wanted to feel <laughs> the challenges of mm -hmm. this is difficult and I'm in that space now you know I we've got a product we've got it but it's the, it's the logistics of okay wow an order's come in I have to post it or oh gosh I've spent too much on this marketing promotion and I need to do more and you know time management my god the time you know trying to find the time to promote even it's a small side business in those early days you don't want to spend you know 50 pounds on marketing when you know you know might not make that much back so it's a lot of juggling, um, but I've learned an awful lot um, just by doing it the same way the startups would do it. But again, a lot of imposter syndrome, the perfectionism, because I advise startups, I find it very difficult to, you know, I've not been as public about it as I should have been because I've got this expectation mm. that because I advise startups, it's got to be perfect. And in my head, it's not perfect and it's not supposed to be perfect like we just have one product now mm -hmm. um and I feel like oh no I should have 10 different products before I launch it so I guess I'm wrestling with that same challenge myself of making sure that I don't look you know it's all I, I, it's all in my head <laughs> no one cares but I want to make sure it looks as good as I want it to but luckily I've also taken my own advice and just went and done it and seen okay if I'm not leveraging I've got you know, I've got quite a good following on LinkedIn. I've not posted about it once on LinkedIn and still we've been able to get orders because a startup 
who was you know a graduate student might not have that same network so how mm. would they do it so I've kind of I've been holding off on you know promoting it as much as I could have done so I'm learning I'm learning first but then I'll be able to leverage some of those connections to kind of expand that a little bit further hopefully yeah thank you so much for sharing about uh, what you're you know struggling with and and working through um I think that's always so valuable to share that mm. with people and not just think or not just say oh yeah my business is going amazing and then behind the scenes it's not really like not that you should share everything about your business yeah. um but it's just so it's just so great to hear that like even people who do have like lots of business experience mm. you you might put on like a, a pedestal and you think oh they have it all figured out and yeah. I don't have it figured out so I can't do it um but like everyone I've, I've talked to like no one has it figured out like even the no. super successful people like they're probably still thinking the same so once you realize that it's like okay even even if I don't have it all figured out I can still start because those yeah. thoughts are never going to go away like it might get better um but you just learn to ignore them like ignore your your yeah negative self-talk and stuff <laughs> and try to recognize and I try to do this you know the little things like right now sat next to me I'm looking at one of my scratch posters in a tube and it's got such a beautiful sticker on it and it's just <laughs> no one else cares about it but I care about it and I'm like this didn't exist and it's so exciting and you know um just celebrate you know some people will have this up in their wall somewhere and um, that I'll have never met before um so yeah taking that time to sort of just go do you know what I've done I've done some good stuff might not be perfect you know there's you probably have I have thousands of other ideas for things I want to do but taking it step by step to kind of go yes it's okay and yeah there is there's definitely plenty of challenges um that I'm, I'm learning lots about yeah absolutely um so you mentioned it earlier we've, we've said it like plenty of times in the episode time management so Please. what's your what are your time management tips like just just give them to us. Of course. Um, and again, I wish I had the secret sauce, but I don't think <laughs> I quite do. But in, for the past few years, I've had a full-time job, additional lecturing on top of that. I have additional sort of uh, side kind of jobs that I do. And now I've added in this um, delightful uh, side business. So I guess for me, um, I'm still quite analog. You know, there's so many apps and, and, and productivity tools, but I have a journal and I have a to-do list and I kind of decongest all of my thoughts into that to-do list. And sometimes that's a stressful process, seeing all the things that need done, but equally, I quite like getting out of my head. Um, and then I can take a look at my week and I guess sort of plan it out. So in terms of actually time management, I'm you know, things go in the diary and I, and I kind of block off time if I need to, to try and get things done. And I try to prioritize as much as I can to try and figure out, okay, for these next few days, here's the top things that I need to try and achieve and kind of focus on them as much as I can. And then, uh, unfortunately, the rest of the time, so that's the good stuff. The big projects get kind of pushed away. And again, I'm quite good at managing you know, oh, I've spent enough time on this. I need to move on to something else. It's just become sort of habit to figure that out. Everything mm -hmm. else becomes almost like a, I take an energy reading of myself. I don't know, that sounds a little bit silly, but I can kind of sense where, where the sort of medium priority things. I can mm -hmm. sense where my interests are. And I try to, I try to do the tasks that I care about that I'm most interested in because 
it will keep me motivated to get onto the things that I'm less interested in. Yeah. You know, if there's really tiny tasks, you know, like things like emails, you know, I do try to keep an empty inbox. I'm an inbox zero type of person. You know, I try to <laughs> power through and get rid of them because it just alleviates stress. Mm-hmm. I don't like notifications. So I try to get rid of them first and it can be a distraction. Um, but the rest of the time, it's just finding out, okay, do you know what? I think this task will make me feel, give me a good reading for an yeah. example um, and work on that but yeah still a challenge to juggle it all together and I think with this new business I'm learning that marketing is not as quick as easy as it seems it mm. is yeah exceptionally <laughs> difficult to try and build that marketing side of things oh yeah um, <laughs> so I don't envy and I'm kind of like oh how are people like Laura so good at this um Aww. but yeah learning lots of great things it's such a such good um, advice that you just said with the, you know, of course, you have to get your big blocks, your big priorities, your must do's done, mm-hmm. no matter what, but then on yeah. the like, things that are not super urgent that might get done today. I actually mm-hmm. do that too. Now that you say that. So I also have like my big because I also like do lots of different things. So yeah. I do have like my big must do's and like stuff where there are deadlines like I always have that in my calendar I know they need to get done even if I don't feel like it I just do it I don't think about it too much but then I always have like I have like different lists as well and I have like options of stuff I could do and then I kind of think oh what do I feel like doing now and yeah you're really right because in that way yes you get all of your stuff done but you still create some freedom and flexibility and because you know, oftentimes when we handle a lot of stuff, it then ends up just all feeling like a chore and then yeah. you will not sustain it. You know, you will just give up eventually because it's too much. So creating like as much flexibility and fun and yeah. freedom. I think I also reflect on kind of what day I've sort of had. So mm. for example, if I've had a day where I've been busy in meetings and tends to be as much as meetings are useful la 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 um I tend to not feel very productive at the end of that day I feel like I've kind of wasted a day even though the meetings have been helpful you know it's quite demotivating I get to the end and I'm like oh I've not hit anything off the list so Mm. those tend to be the days that I will do lots of little things I'll get the email inbox emptied I will do lots of tiny tasks because I'll end the day on a bit of a high it's all the things I'm probably not so interested in doing like on a normal day that would that would be a distraction but Mm -hmm. after a day where I feel like I've not achieved much that makes me end the day going oh I got loads done whereas on other days I've got if I've got a big blank space of time in the diary I try to find something meaty because um, and I try to clear space in the diary because I really I need I I don't like doing things in in blocks you know if I've got a big report Mm -hmm. to write or you know an accelerator session to plan out I just want to take the time to do it because you know it's kind of like the gym or exercise or anything like that you know it's uncomfortable getting into it but once I'm into it yeah I, I kind of flow so I think I think you work exactly the same way yeah. I get the same energy <laughs> from you um about those things yeah well thank you so much for sharing sharing that um that's very very good advice because it is very applicable to whatever people are doing yeah. um you know it is important to have structure but then within your structure find ways to still you know because every day you might feel different you know there might be things especially I mean like to be fair I think like such a big lesson of 2020 is that sometimes you cannot push through like sometimes 
you really do feel crappy and yeah. you, your time management and your to-do list need to be able to handle that. Like <laughs> you sometimes can't work, you know, the full 10 hours of productive no. and amazing, you know, but you need to have, find a way to still go through and, And maybe work a bit more then or be more efficient here, you know, to be sustainable over the long term. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So good that you said that. So my last question, well, second to last question is, um, if someone now who's listening got super inspired and they're like, yes, I want to go down the startup route. I want to start a scalable business or, you know, even someone who just wants to start a business. Do yeah. you have like if you could just give them one piece of advice, what would that be? Um, I mean, I think probably do your big brainstorm. I think, you know, I would say if you think that this is the type of lifestyle you want, or you've got an idea is find some space, get in a room, get lots of pens and papers and post-its or find, you know, whatever works for you and just be creative, you know, get it all out on the, on the table, come up with lots of ideas, you know, have that make those bold decisions think of all the things you need to do and kind of can make a make a plan in your head because one it's a task that you you've just done something um and two it gives you a, a big perspective it's otherwise you'll spend so long just thinking oh, i could have done that i wish i could do that or i wish i could do this mm -hmm. but actually just getting up and if you produce something with like post-it notes or something visual on your wall you know it's something that you'll you'll kind of keep coming back to Yeah. Because you can, of course, go away and do your research and learn things and do things. But a lot of the time I find that adds more pressure to yourself. You know, you, mm. you, I'm I'm struggling right now with almost like content overload. You know, I'm on LinkedIn. There's articles for this. There's top 10 for that. Read this book, read this, which is great. But I'm kind of like, oh, oh, there's so much stuff. Actually, if you really want to feel like you're achieving something and you want to get started, just get in a room, get the ideas down, you know, get the energy, it will enthuse you, it will make you feel excited and hopefully it will give you something to focus on because you can then take one thing away from that wall of ideas, that journal of ideas, that sort of digital board, whatever you've come up with, mood board sort of thing and actually go, okay, I can take one thing away today and I can register my company or I can set up my website or I can talk to a customer. Um, so I guess that would be my advice to start. Um, have a big brainstorm and... Uh, yeah come up with your ideas oh I love a good brainstorm that like gets yeah. me so excited even just thinking about it yeah. lots of pens and post-it notes makes me happy it's just the stationery that's yeah. what we like we're just all about coloring in and stationery love so it important. yeah thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom and knowledge like I could ask you like questions about like life and everything and I feel like you would have such good advice so oh my god so many questions so how can listeners connect with you how can they find you how can they follow your your business tell us about it of course yeah so um, my name's Edward Pollock you can go at Edward Pollock on Instagram for example or Edward Pollock on LinkedIn and the business is at founders.vault so vault is in like like a bank safe founders vault or foundersvault.co.uk and again you can find some details there and i'd love to hear from anyone hear your ideas hear your perspectives anything like that and of course feel free to comment on any of laura's um posts and channels and i'll try and uh, reply on instagram or anything like that oh uh, yay so all of your uh, all of ed's links are going to be in the show notes so you can 
straight after watching this episode and you can check it out and also make sure if you enjoyed this episode that you take a screenshot of it and then you post it on your Instagram stories and then you tag me and Ed and then we can talk to you and we can repost it and we can connect with you so thank you so much Ed for being on the podcast it was so much fun and so thank thank you so much Thank you so much. And thank you for inviting me and thanks for all the amazing work that you do. Because uh, I'm so pleased that we chose you. I don't, I don't know if we chose you or you chose us. There was just a sort of uh, <laughs> connection between when you joined the, the team um, in your fourth year. It's made all the difference to us. And uh, yeah, so exciting getting to meet you. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Driven by Curiosity podcast. If you're listening on iTunes right now, it would mean the absolute world to me if you could give my podcast a five-star review because it really, really helps with the algorithm and to show my podcast to more listeners so we can empower more people to step outside their comfort zone. So thank you so, so much for your support and you will hear from me in the next podcast episode on the Driven by Curiosity podcast.